Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff, and today I am joined by one of my good buddies, Jake Elkins. Jake is a monster on the mat. Guys, he's one of the best guys I've ever trained with. He is a uh, he is the owner of Ironclad Wrestling, easily the best club team in Alabama and on their way to being one of the top club teams in the whole United States. And so I wanted to bring Jake on to talk about how he got into wrestling, coaching wrestling, and about his Ironclad methods. Jake, again, just such a pleasure to have you on. And I just want to start off by asking you, how did you get into wrestling and then find your way to coaching wrestling? Yeah, man. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's exciting, dude. I, we're a big fan of everything you're doing. Obviously, we're homies. Um, so this is terrific being here. Um, yeah, man. So we we grew up, I had two younger brothers. We're all three years apart. Um, I'm the oldest. And um, we grew up playing all the sports, baseball, football. Uh, I don't think they played basketball. I played basketball as a kid. Um, and we missed, uh, we missed basketball sign-ups. Um, because uh, we were in the football state championship game. And, you know, this is, it's a different time and era. But basically, if you missed the signups and, and the tryout day, like you couldn't play. You know, they're like, you guys are a ringer. We're not adding you to a team as the, the last round pick. You know, that's 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 cheating. So um, my dad wasn't going to let us play video games. And he drug us to our first wrestling practice. We had some friends who had wrestled um, previously, but we didn't understand what they were talking about, really. We were wrestling on the trampoline. And so we went into our first practice and were shocked that there wasn't a ring or, you know, turnbuckle. There were no ropes to jump off of. Like that was that was our idea of wrestling, you know. So um, it, it's really funny because I was absolutely terrible um, when I started. My my middle brother, no shock, was pretty freaking good. TB was pretty good when we started, but I was terrible. And um, it's really a funny thing that I wound up kind of being drawn to wrestling. I, I say like the Lord kind of put that on my heart, but I um. I was a football baseball guy big time and uh, I quit playing those in high school after ninth grade, uh, really just because I loved wrestling. I didn't like I say it didn't make sense. I was, it was a big deal to stop. But uh, man, we, we wrestled all through high school, had success. Um, we're all state champs. We all got outstanding wrestler award, you know, at the state tournament and stuff, um, had scholarship opportunities. Uh, I wrestled uh, me and me and Matt both wrestled together in college. Um, I was a couple time All-American um in college and, and which was at the time you know kind of a big deal there's just not kids from Alabama doing that having success and um so yeah that I, I had the opportunity to kind of go into coaching talking about that transition I had the opportunity to stick around and coach in college and that would have really tickled my fancy I, I really liked the idea of that um I wanted to really continue competing I, I still had a strong desire to compete um, but I got married in college and had two kids had my second kid as I was finishing my last year of school. Um, and so really there was no, there was no chance to do that. I couldn't, there was no way for me to continue trying to compete and be selfish in that way, uh, trying a UFC career or something. And along that lines, which a lot of my teammates were, were wanting to do, wasn't really an, an option. I, I just, I need to go home and take care of the family. Right. So that kind of led me into, into back into coaching and, and uh, I chose to come home and start a club. Um, which was, was kind of funny. You know, there's, I remember having a conversation with my father-in-law at the time, you know, what was I going to do to basically provide a life for his daughter? And I was like, I'm going to coach wrestling, you know, he said, Oh, at a, at a college, you know, I was like, no, he said, Oh, oh, oh at, a, at a high school. And I said, no, not that either. You know, and He said, he was like, what are you gonna do? I was like, I'm going to start a club. And he, he said, do people do that? You know, is that a 
that thing? I was like, well, no, not really, but I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And so, uh, it's a, it's a funny story. Um, he's a good guy. He meant well, but, um, yeah, fast forward, man, like this thing's moving really fast. It's really cool. Um, I, I don't want to kind of speak out of turn, but, you know, we just got back from Budapest. Uh, we had an athlete make the world team and he, he earned a world silver medal in Greco, which is a huge ordeal to understand the significance of, of being a, a world medalist in Greco. We've more people, more Americans have walked on the moon than have earned a uh, world or Olympic medal in Greco-Roman wrestling. And so um, it's kind of significant, literally, as we're talking about this, Greco has been going on in the Olympics the last few days, as long as, as well as women's freestyle. Um, men's freestyle starts tonight, actually. But um, most people don't understand the significance of that. It's a pretty big deal. And so we've taken – and now we're we're kind of being asked, we're in the beginning stages of teaching what we're doing that's unique. And, and it's – so we're kind of a wild journey that, that's led there. And I, I guess that's what I'm talking about. But we're now kind of like – we're kind of turning into like offensive coordinators for, for team USA wrestling, especially on the Greco side, uh, coach Mayab and some of the awesome coaches there have been, are open-minded and have basically asked me to like share with them and collaborate. And I don't want to say I'm teaching them as much as they've taught me a ton, but we're, I'm kind of like the offensive coordinator, I guess, for them. We're, we're teaching this, these ideas and philosophies for um, United States Greco, because fundamentally the, the same challenge that we have in taking Alabama kids and making them be competitive at a national level um, where they have so little exposure and, and the, it's just it's a very different thing to wrestle. You know, we talk about the pond and the ocean to be competitive in the uh, in, in the in the ocean. You really have to get out there and start swimming in the sea, you know, and with very limited exposure to that. And it's just a very challenging fundamentally uh, or, or I say principally. That's the same struggle that domestic United States Greco-Roman athletes have wrestling internationally is because they only wrestle so much Greco per year, uh, just the way that wrestling works here in America. And then they try to go compete internationally where that's all this kid does. You know, wrestling is like NFL football overseas. And so and Greco-Roman is king among them where even if it's freestyle Greco season here, people like freestyle. So anyways, it's, it's a wild journey, man. Uh, somehow still getting paid to coach wrestling, which is fantastic. Um, you know, we're, we're expanded into jiu-jitsu and everything. My brothers work with me. Uh, they are freaking rock stars. They, they help hold down the fort and run the show as I've been traveling, kind of pursuing some of this big stuff. And yeah, man, it's just a, it's a really cool thing. Um, it really, and again, it all started because we decided we wanted to come back and create high level training opportunities for athletes like ourselves, um, who were from Alabama and willing to work hard. Uh, I was talking a little bit off off camera, and I, I guess I'll repeat it now. But, you know, we grew up in a very hard work, a very blue collar family where hard work was king. And um, our, you know, our dad was the answer was always work harder. If, you, if we lost the match, it was like, you just need to work harder, son. And so on the, in the first five years of that journey, that that answer made a lot of sense. You know, um, after five years in, you're not wrestling that many people. If you're in high school, you're not wrestling. I mean, people have been wrestling longer than you have, you know, like that's that the, it's a very small group of people. It's kind of like being a, a brown belt. You know, you don't you don't grapple that many people who have been doing jujitsu longer than you if you're a brown or black belt at that point. So um, but I remember the, the first time I had this I had this thought. So I was a uh, um, I was at Super 32, which is 
the toughest folk style tournament in the country. If you if you're a wrestling person, you know this. And I was in the semifinals. I wrestled a guy um, who just beat the crap out of me. It was a four minute match. The, the periods were two one one, and he beat me thirteen to seven. He took me down six times uh, and got off bottom once. And he did it without really like feeling like he was trying real hard. To be honest, you know, um, he wanted to win the tournament and. But but I remember having like this existential crisis kind of thing when I came off the mat, not because I had lost, but like the way I had lost, like the the world that I believed in that philosophy, like couldn't be true. Like the answer was not work harder. He was he was doing something that I wasn't. And I, I knew that he knew something that I didn't. You know, um, I, I joke now about how beat up I'm, I'm 32. Um, my body's just jack. You know, that's kind of grappler's favorite thing to do is talk about how beat up their bodies are right <laughs> it's like the you know we all sit around after training and oh um you know it's like old war stories you know um but i, I really am my, my body's really beat up and, and mangled because we were doing stupid just crazy archaic things to try to get better because no one knew I, we had um all of the motivation in the world um really none of the ability zero ability um and the but it had the right prompt. So you take high motivation, you know, high prompt and no ability, and you just start inventing crazy things to do. They're like, I think this will make me better. Like I'm, I'm gonna go cut my grass in the in late July in Alabama with plastics on and two layers of sweats, and like you know, just because probably like made me tougher, you know, and maybe I'll lose a little weight too. You know, it's like, uh, you know five minutes shy of a heat stroke later, like it didn't, didn't help me any, you know, like, so, um, in college I had some kind of some, a couple of similar experiences where I was like, man, this kind of knows something that I don't. And so it, it became this journey of, um, as an athlete, I, I always loved like knowing something that the other, that my opponent didn't, you know, like knowing the, uh, I was talking about like a single leg, for example, you know, like do a single leg this way, you know, or, or some cool moves that, that other people didn't know. Like I, I always valued that. And what, what eventually happened is, is, you know, it was a very different time. There wasn't exposure to the internet and all this stuff, flow grappling, flow wrestling, all those things started coming. They like the, that first came out when I was a senior in high school, they were, they were advertising it, throwing out t-shirts at, at senior nationals, right. As I, as I was graduating. And so it was a very different era. It wasn't like YouTube and podcasts and stuff. So that, I think that's important to, to remind people, but, um, I was traveling, man, we we're burning up the roads, going to camps and clinics and being around every single guy we could. And sometimes you didn't even know who this guy was who's standing up teaching, you know, like and but they were teaching technique. And and you would eventually you're learning thing the first time around the track. You're learning everything for the first time. But eventually you, you circle back around and, and you realize that there's something that contradicts. And, and you're like, hey, this guy taught it and it conflicts with the way that he taught it before. Which one is better, you know? Or you're listening to, you know, your coach and then this other guy that coaches and then like eventually your dad and then your uncle. And like there's just this all these people trying to give you advice and you don't know who to listen to. And so um, what happens when those guys are all NCAA champs, which I wasn't, you know, what happens if they're world medalists and they've talked they're talking about different ways to do the same thing? Like what what holds merit? You know, what what holds water there? And so it kind of developed this. um now I understand a little more about how the craftsman selects his tools, you know, like there's only so much room for those things in your, in your system. And so uh, you, ha you have to be selective about the tools that you use. You have to be extremely selective. And I, that word tools gets used a lot. 
when we're talking about grappling, whether that's wrestling or jujitsu or whatever MMA stuff, um, the, the, your, your tools. And so you always have to be improving. So I, I started this thing with like, uh, when I came back and was coaching, I was coaching youth kids all the way through high school. And, and I was still kind of mentoring some of the college guys too, my old teammates. And, and I wanted to, the, the first journey, the first idea was to teach something to a seven year old that they could use and it would scale till they were 17 or 22 or 27, however long they were wrestling, right? That they would never have to unlearn something because nothing pissed me off more than like spending all this time, all these hours learning a technique and drilling it and getting better and better and better at it. And then I go to, you know, camp and Mark Manning at Nebraska is telling me like, Hey, don't do it that way. Or Jordan Burroughs is like, no, nah, man, I don't, I don't do it that way. This is how I do it. You know? And I'm like, well, he's, this joker's good. You know, like, um, he wasn't the Jordan Burroughs everybody knows now, but I mean, I remember him talking to me about, about, you know, the way he double leg and I was like, well, I don't know, man. Like, can I, I don't even know if I can do that. You know, like it is, it's just this, this crazy journey, man, honestly. And I think my journey is not necessarily that, unique and the other people had some of those similar experiences but they just they grew up in a culture wrestling and we didn't have that here so it we were kind of outside the box thinking about things and um that the first developed this map and so it, it's um now I, I understand those really primal thoughts that i had about those things now like make a lot more sense today um i have two daughters they're in fourth and fifth grade starting in a couple of weeks here i guess next week and that's terrifying to be honest um but I, when I was doing multiplication stuff with them, you know, I started thinking about like the 144. So 144 is the 12 by 12 multiplication table, right? And um, I began looking. I, I'm a teacher by like that's what I studied in school is education, and so I'm I'm always pedagogy and the art of teaching and and teaching methods and stuff are always like on the forefront of my mind. I always like to look at things like that, and um, the way that we teach math is really significant. It's it's I was going to be a math teacher at first, and then I decided that was a horrible idea. I was like, oh, I'll be a PE teacher. And then I decided I wasn't going to be a teacher at all. I was going to coach wrestling. So funny how that just reduced, you know, taking math 436 as a freshman in college. I was like, I don't think I want to do this for forever, you know. But uh, so it was, it was funny. And at least I was smart enough to figure that part out, that that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. But um, so the the one the 144, we, we have a thing now that we call the Ironclad 144. And so when you look at a multiplication table, you know, you, there's there's infinite conclusions that you can draw from that. OK, um, by the time a, a, a student is going into fourth grade, we have taught them to add, subtract and multiply through 144 um, all in, you know, yeah, in, in three years. Right. Three, three and a half years. OK, uh, depending on their aptitude for math. OK, um, so, man, that's like three, three, four years. Like that's, you know. That's not a short period of time, but really they only go to school like eight months a year, you know, and they're only doing math. Uh, they're only they're only at school five days a week and they're only doing math for one hour a day max each of those five days. And it's usually more like 30 to 45 minutes. So when you start reducing it down, you go, man, we taught them a whole lot in this really small window of time. And we gave them a couple months off in the summer when they kind of forgot about it, you know. And so how, how have we done this? Um and so, you know, when, when you start looking at it, you know, multiplication is the natural, it's the natural progression. Like you, you learn to add things and then you go, oh, well, what happens if you take things away? And eventually 
when you're when you're adding, you know, six, you don't say six plus six plus six plus like you, you just count the number of sixes and you go, oh, there's seven of them. It's 42. Six times seven, 42. Like it's just the natural progression is quicker. And, um, you know, so that that's that's one thing. The next is that, you know, when you're looking at at this thing, we, we teach math a certain way that you, you learn ones and you learn one times one times two times three. And so there's a progression of one and then you get to number two and you do twos. Um, and so it's, you know, there's really, it's 144, but really there's only, you're only learning 72 because it also works in reverse order, right? And when you learn two times eight, um, pretty early on in your journey, right? Well, on the back half, when you learn eight, you're doing your eights, you go eight times two, you already know the answer 16, right? You, you're only, you only do it once. Um, and so there's a, an order that we teach this in, you, they go in order, you do ones and you do twos and threes all the way through to 12, right? Um, but there's also some, it's not exclusive. Learning isn't quite that linear. It's not exclusive to being done in that order and that progression. There's, there's numbers that stand out. There's some that you just remember naturally, like five times five is 25, six times six is 36. Like my kids just pick that up because it, it just rolls off the tongue. It's kind of easy to remember. Um, I always talk about the trick with the nines. You know, if you, if you hold it up 10 fingers and you, and then you count times seven, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. When you put down your index finger, you have six, a space, and three. You know, nine times seven is 63. It's just this this super life hack, you know. Um, and so uh, the, the the multiplication table, I mean, this is something you can study. I, I, it's silly when I think about how many hours I've spent studying multiplication tables and thinking about all the stuff. Um, the, the the reason that we're able to do that is because these, these numbers, you know, one through 12, we're using whole numbers. We use... Uh, they're they're pure. They're they're always true. When you add six to when you add six to something, it always does the same thing. When you add two to something, it always does the same thing. Um, but you know when we're when you're learning, you know there's there's infinite numbers between zero and one, or between two and three, three and four. Like there's decimals, there's fractions, there's all these things. But we don't teach that to kids. We don't teach that to first and second, third graders. Um, is it because we're lying to them or because like we know what's best for them, right? Like eventually you learn, no, there's all these variations. There's decimals and three and five sixteenths and like, but we don't teach them that. We teach them the whole numbers, the pure, the taking someone was smart enough and said, we should do it this way, right? Whoever that was, right? Um, and so in, in wrestling and in grappling, someone has to do that same thing. Someone has to say, we're going to use two. There's a lot of variations of two. There's a lot of that, you know, but we're going to use this one. We're going to do single legs. This is the one we're going to teach because these mechanics are always true. And and we talk about that. The, I think eventually anybody would like I, I'm really not that smart, man. I just didn't I won't leave wrestling, you know, and have had a lot of really awesome people around me. Um, like you, like BMAC, you know, a lot of really cool coaches um, and stuff in, in wrestling. And, and if you there, there, there's not that many people. So folk style wrestling is what people do in America, right? That's what you see in high school and college. And most of the U tournaments are folk style. Um, that's it, like August through March. Okay. At the very least, um, August through March. But we're the only country in the world that wrestles folk style. Um, there's, there's less people who wrestle folk style and freestyle. There's even less of those. Um, and there's even less people who wrestle folk style, freestyle and Greco. Right. And, and I'm saying wrestle like who coats this stuff too. Right. Um, and then you get into folk style, freestyle Greco, and, and you say, how many people also do uh, gi jiu-jitsu or no gi jiu-jitsu 
or study judo or kickboxing or MMA. Like, and so when you insert enough of these skills, um, I, I think of it, you know, almost like it eventually whittles away the impure. You start to see the overlap. I think about holding up my hand and, and if you, you, you know, you can't see this, I guess, on the audio, but if you turn your, you know, your hands are related on top of each other, they're, all your fingers kind of like a web. But if you dial them in together, eventually they overlap and you, and you can see the overlap, right? The, the truths, the whole numbers, the true and pure techniques. And so, you know, the way that you hold a single leg should be true, whether you're, no matter what you're doing, whether you're wrestling folks off freestyle, I guess you can't grab a leg and grab the other. That's, they call that cheating, you know, but, um, you know, the way that you're in uh, like a deep path, the way that you hold onto a leg and you control the knee line um, while you're upside down on your back in Nogi Jiu Jitsu isn't really, there's a lot of similarities in the way that you should single leg a guy when you're standing up, you know? And so you you eventually see these these patterns, these movement patterns and the the consistency in them. And again, if anybody else has spent the same hours I have or maybe even less, I think they would see the same thing. There's just not somebody else doing that. Right. And if they are, they're, they're not telling anybody about it. And so we've developed this this uh, this map. I call it Ironside 144. And it's, it's one of the things that that I think are really significant about our program is that. Um, we can we show up and we teach something and you know let's say we're it's easy to use use numbers right when you when we're doing six you know five and we say five times one and then later we teach them five times two and five times three um we we first teach them how a five works when you add fives together this is how it works and then eventually when you understand the truth of five these are the these are the habits these are the these are the things about five that are very true we no longer have to add time together i can say here's a five and here's 12 places where it's true and you just know the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we do that on, um, you know, the, the way that you use an underhook. Right. Uh, so we teach an underhook and underhook has certain habits, has certain skills. Um, there, there, there are details when you study habit formation. Dr. B.J. Fogg, um, author of Tiny Habits, is really the foremost. Ex- Sorry, I don't know my phone's trying to ring again. Forgive me. Um, Dr. B.J. Fogg is the foremost expert on habit development. When you study the way he does things, that's, it starts with a, a collection of small habits. So let's say there's three habits, and then you add to that. You add a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh. You know, um, kind of like dialing in someone's diet. You can't you can't give them triathlete habits for dieting on day one. You know, day one, you're like, hey, don't drink soda, don't eat candy. Boom, you know. Um, but at some point you're telling them to eat kombucha. They need this many, uh, you know, this many grant, uh, ounces of water and, you know, they need to hit these macros on their, their proteins, their carbs, their fats, right? Like eventually it gets very detailed, but you can't, you know, I can't teach my mom to, to do her macros today. She's just, she's not going to do it. I don't want to do it myself. Right. Um, so when you look at like a, an underhook and you talk about habit development in this underhook, we, we teach you this underhook. Here's how it works. And then, you know, we'll, let's say we spend 20 minutes teaching this underhook and, and trying to slowly add some habits. Teach it, go out, play with it. Come back in, let's add some corrections. Go back out. It's just like any class anybody ever goes to. But then at the on the back half of that, I say, hey, here's an underhook. You can use it here and here and here and here and here. And we, we show five, seven, 10, 12 places where you can use this underhook. And, and I call that skill multiplication. 
Um, whether you're talking about technique multiplication or skill multiplication, we take this thing that's true and I show you all the places that you can do. It. So there's not a, a variation of it, right? Like we, we show a two on one is a really dynamic position in, in all of grappling, whether you're, you're in, you know, wrestling, folk style, freestyle Greco or no gi jiu jitsu. Um, if you have a two on one standing, it's pretty sick. You can do a two on one seated from your butt in your guard, you know. When you understand how two on one works, then you just multiply it for the the goal that the, the objective, the rule set to that sport or whatever, you know. But you develop very pure things. There's no longer there's no room for variation. I I, I don't I know that there's a whole bunch of other ways to do two on one, but we're gonna do this one because this one will never fail us, you know. Um again, I, I we were kind of talking on camera some, but you know, my brothers tickle me, they they laugh because uh, if when it comes to purchasing an item, I always buy, you know, they they, they make fun of me about like it's going to be like bulletproof and Kevlar and lifetime warranty. And it's going to be some astronomical amount of money and it's going to do things that you never, ever needed to really do, you know. But um, if you, you know, it's, they just they pick up. It's, it's funny. Right. But the thing is, like I, when I get this, let's say a backpack right now, I, I've got a backpack that, that I love. Um, and USA Wrestling gave us some Nike backpacks to go overseas with that we had to use where we had to use everything Nike and stuff and be, you know, be seen with Nike. But I was like, I mean, this is a really nice backpack, but it's not my Osprey. Like I like the Osprey backpack, you know, like this and this. And so when we were not in the arena, we were walking around Budapest and checking on the city. Like I took the Osprey, you know, it, it does everything. It never fails. Um, and, and so that, that idea of, uh, of being ironclad, right. Um, is, it's never going to fail you. Like it's, it's, it's well-rounded. It's fully, it means immovable. You know, it's, it's perfect. And so um, that's kind of the, the first thing that we do is, uh, I'm not saying the first thing we do, but that's a, a really big thing is that we've taken this 40,000 foot view of grappling because we're involved in all the arts. And, and frankly, like, you know, I can, I can talk to my brother uh, Matt about their TB. I call him TB here, but some people know him as Matt. He's TB to me. Uh, I can talk to TB about ideas and concepts because he's a very high level guy and he's right beside me. I can talk to my brother Marcus because he does very like nuanced, like weird techniques and skills. It's very long and flexible and stuff. And I can pick his brain about something that he does. I'm like, dude, why do you do that? You know, and it, sometimes it comes off like almost negative, but but it challenges me because he does, he uses things in a very obscure way that aren't common. And I can see what holds merits and what doesn't. And it just, it's, it's always very challenging, you know, because we're, again, we're all three very different and, and just surrounded by a lot, again, lots, lots of people, right? Like the way that you grapple is very different than me. Um, and I, I get imprinted on every, anytime we grapple, the way that you use a North South choke or something, I'm like, man, that's so sick, right? And now I'm looking at how we, how we pin people with a, a half Nelson, which is basically a North South choke, you know, um, like, man, what are the things that, how can scaff hold me in this position and I can't get off my back, but you're not just holding on my back. Like you're choking, me, you know, mm. like what are the mechanics behind that? And it just, it, it, it becomes the way there's a book by Cal Newport um, called so good. They can't ignore you. It's a really good book. It's about having a craftsman mindset instead of a passion mindset. Incredible read to recommend it to anybody, but he talks about how craftsman selects his tools and having to take a deeper look at and a deeper study on those things to see if if like what we're kind of all generally accepting to be true 
is actually true. You know, he tells the story of of a um, a farmer who, you know, in in the farming world, like everybody cuts their own hay, basically, right? I'll, I'll fast track the story, but everybody cuts their own hay. And this guy was, he grew up a farmer, went to Cornell, came home, took over the family farm, uh, kind of a smaller farm, but like incredibly, incredibly successful. And he stopped, he stopped bailing his own hay and started purchasing hay, which has seemed to be incredibly wasteful in the farming industry. And he talked about um, when the, the guy writing the book is, is studying him and, and whatever else he, he explains how he assessed using uh, cutting hay or not, right? And he talked about how, you know, if, he, if he's cutting hay, if they're bailing on hay, he has the time involved with bailing hay. He has the tractors and the equipment. He has the, the cost of fuel. He has the upkeep of that equipment and the maintenance of it. Um, he has a, a, one of the big things that blew my mind was like the the lack of productivity um, out of his, of his soil because he's driving this heavy equipment over his soil and compacting it, which makes it less fertile. Um, like all these things, right? And again, it's like the, the time, a big, another, one of the major players was his time that he's spending on bailing this hay versus the cost of just going, we're going to purchase hay, which seems like you're just immediately doing this. It, I kind of think of it as like an iceberg approach. There's the cost above the water. You see the iceberg above the water, but then two thirds or more of it is below the water. And if you understand the cost below the surface, then you go, man, there's no way I can bail my own hay. I have to purchase it, right? And so we take that same idea, that mindset into the way that we select technique, both for ourselves and for our athletes. And there's a whole bunch of things to consider when you're talking about mapping offense, um, which which kind of leads into the, the next, like, real major thing that sets us apart. One of the things that we're going to be, uh, I think, eventually really known for is the way we're changing the game with with this ironclad formula. So we have that the 144 map, and then the second thing is what we call the ironclad formula. And if you if you look at it, um, and one of our one of the guys that trains with us, he said, "What in the Pythagorean theorem is this?" <laughs> and he said, it was, uh, Steve Preston's hilarious. He uh, cracked me up because it's a it's it's basically a system of triangles. So if you if you look at this thing, you know that a lot of people are familiar with uh, with flow charts. Um, and so BJJ flowcharts is kind of a thing now that people talk about. Flowcharts aren't really anything new. Um, people are like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's almost like a flex to see how many how many things. If if you were going to write your own flowchart, it's just like a brain dump of how much how much technique do you really know, you know? And um, so a lot of people like to kind of vomit. I, I would say even as teachers, um, you know, instructors, they like to kind of vomit all the things that they know. But you don't, there's not room, again, a, a craftsman approach, there's not room for all the tools. There's not room for all the things. Like only a certain one, only some of these matter, you know. Um, when you get in a position, um, when you get in a single position, you need, you don't need 14 options. You don't even need four options, right? You get paralysis by analysis. I always tell people about going and, and watching, uh, like, like go, go try to buy a toothpaste, right? Or, um, Go try to buy shampoo. Go stand on the shampoo aisle and go to Hyacinth shampoo. You probably go buy the same one that you buy every time. Like, that's what most people do. They, they, I got one. You're just looking for the one that looks like the one in your drawer, and you get another one else, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, dude, if you sit back and go, oh, like, I just, I don't, I just want my teeth to be white. And, like, I need, I need my breath to smell good. You know, I want, I want the dentist to yell at me when I go back, you know? Like, um, again, shampoo is like that way, too. Like, there's, there's too many options. And so we – 
use uh, three, right? Uh, and there's there's this system of um, kind of questions that we take someone through and and map offense. We've been doing this now. We're teaching wrestling coaches about it, but it's um, people just don't do this, man. It's I don't know, man. It's, once you once you see it, that once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know. Um, and so we take this system of triangles and and simplify um, simplify and prioritize uh, your offense, um, you know. And I just think that something doesn't get done enough in in my brain. Again, I, so I was a quarterback. I played quarterback and um, growing up playing football. And the first thing they do is they give you a playbook. So you get a playbook and um, you know, on, on Friday, they give you a, they give you a playbook for spring training football. Friday, you get a playbook. On Monday, you're expected to know the first 10 plays in that playbook. On Tuesday, you have to know 15 plays. On Wednesday, 20. By the end of the week, you have to know all 25, like mm. roughly speaking, right? It might vary a little bit, but that's that's the idea. And on Monday, when you show up and they call out one of those first 10 plays and you don't know where to line up, uh, you get dog cussed and you go sit on the sideline and like somebody else comes in and takes your spot. And they don't really care how fast you can run or how high you can jump. They can put you on the sidelines, and they know that if you're an athlete and you're trying to be a superstar on the football field, you're going to go home and figure it out, and tomorrow they'll give you another chance to line up in the right place and run the correct route, you know. Um, and so – and if you play quarterback, you're responsible for knowing everybody's role, everybody's place, you know, everybody's job on every play. And in and, and, uh, – all of grappling, we don't give people a playbook. You know, we we have a curriculum. That's a lot of people talk about curriculum. It's a huge topic that gets discussed. Um, a curriculum is just the order that you teach those things in. You know, um, but but we have to give people the overall the whole playbook. Hey, here's what you're doing. You know, and then you have to be able to prioritize what people need and why. You know, that, that again, talking about curriculums, we use the ironclad formula to a map offense to understand what you know and you don't know. Um, to simplify and streamline your offense to make it most effective. And then, you know, also we use it to write programming where uh, this is the order that you should drop this in. You know, there's each position should have a playbook out of there. And um, it's a lot of times it's fun to kind of dork out on really obscure techniques and, and stuff. Um, I remember one time I was in Virginia beach. I was talking to one of, one of the best high school coaches that, uh, Coming up, he had, he had a, a you know incredible national rank program and developed some you know Olympians and stuff. And we were we were dorking out talking about this, this was ten years ago probably. And we're talking about foot sweep and how obscure a foot sweep is, but how fun it is. And if you if you you know can learn it, like it's so hard to teach people how to do. You know, like they just it's like this invisible skill that you that's just it's hard to communicate to athletes, especially 14, 15 years old. You know. And, um, but if you can do it, it's beautiful and it's like almost unstoppable, you know. And um, we were talking about how like you can get lost down the rabbit hole talking about trying to teach them this foot sweep. And you spent 45 minutes on a foot sweep when really it's a it's such a so far down the rabbit hole that it's really not worth the, the most efficient use of your time. Um, there's a, a demonstration that gets used all the time about priority. And we talk about. Um, so, so the demonstration kind of goes like this. There's, there's four jars up on the, uh, on the thing. You see this used in church and different leadership stuff, wherever, but there's four jars, all equal sized. One of them is empty. One of them has uh, big, like big rocks in it, and it's, it's full. And then one has like gravel in it, and it's full. And then one has like pebbles in it, right? And it's really small rocks, and it's full. And all four jars are the same. And um, 
if you, I mean, again, like you're looking at it, you're like, no, that's that thing's full of stuff. I, I, I've never done the demonstration myself, but I, I wonder, like, how in the world do you have to plan out the amount of rocks in there, you know? But they, the, 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 the visual is like everything, you know? And if you take the large rocks and put the big rocks in the empty container first, and then the mid sized rocks in behind that, they kind of fill in some of the gaps. And then if you put the, the pebbles in last, they'll fill they'll fill in and they all slide in and fill the spaces until like what was in three jars now fits in one and it's literally completely there's no empty space in there and um and it's a it's a store of priority and if you again if you do it in any other way it's like not you know there's rocks falling everywhere it's like what the heck and so um in wrestling you have to do this you have to have priority in the way that you put things in there and uh it's been really fun, man. We're, we're doing a lot of jiu-jitsu now and guinea pigging these things. And, um, yeah, it's just fun, man. Like, it, it's fun because I know we did the PGF, and I know that I know way less grappling than, than anybody else uh, who was in the PGF in season two. I, I, I literally knew probably the least of, of, of jiu-jitsu because um, I spend less time training jiu-jitsu than I think. I, it would make some people unhappy if they knew how little time I was spending sitting in class learning jujitsu. Um, I, I like to do it at least once a week to just be a student again and be in my athlete shoes, but I really don't spend that much time doing it. And but because of these ideas, I can you can play, you know, like you can you can have a lot of success. I mean, I, I know how to grapple, but I don't. You know, like I don't have all the habits attached to certain techniques, the way that you triangle someone. I, I don't have my brother has 25 habits on his triangle. He has a black belt triangle. You know, um, I can triangle people. I, I can triangle black belt, but I don't have that many details about it. You know, I, I would not teach it in the same way. I can teach it because I can I can set, I can make them defend something else, which opens up the triangle easier. You know, and it's in wrestling. I know enough wrestling. It's, it's kind of hard to learn at that. That stuff, it's a lot of it's in my subconscious, but in jujitsu, I get the opportunity to guinea pig those ideas and play with them. And it's like I, I discover something new every time I'm doing it. Cause I'm like, oh man, that's, ah, you know, and, and I, I just, it's been a really fun part of the process. But um, yeah, man, I don't know, that's, that's the journey we're on for sure. That awesome. That, that was fa- absolutely fascinating listening to the, the ironclad methods. Um, and I, I think, uh, the people, especially anybody that's interested in coaching or in athlete development, you know, got a lot out of that. And I, I really want to ask now, like Alabama, right. It, it's not known as a wrestling state, but I think the, the big thing is, is like, how important was it that it was wide open, right? Like you got, you came in and there was just nobody, right? I mean, there was, there was a couple of club teams, but nobody was really doing anything, you know, how important was it, I guess, to kind of have this wild landscape. It's kind of like the wild, wild West where you could develop this program. Okay. And now you're trying to put Alabama on the map and where is Alabama now? I mean, I would say maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was, I mean, nobody talked about Alabama. Like, no kids in Alabama were doing anything in wrestling. Where is it now? And, like, how many more years do you think before we're starting to see Alabama Olympians? Um, yeah, so can you hear me right now? Yep. Okay, sorry. I, my audios can barely hear you, but I just want to make sure that you're able to pick up what I'm saying. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's really an outlier in the situation. Um, it's a big outlier that um, – we've been in Alabama because we've had the freedom to discover and explore, um, to, to experiment with ideas. You know, I, it's, 
I really try not to like. I don't know. I, I have to be careful. I say this too, you know, because other people would be offended. But like, we don't have to try real hard to have success. Um, our our athletes who come to who come and train are going to be successful. Um, they just are because it's Alabama, you know. I mean, honestly, that we our kids lose. We have kids who lose here in in state, but they don't lose the people that train, you know, less than them, right? Like they they somebody else is living a lifestyle and we train three months a year then, you know, we might, we might lose that kid and no, no surprise. Like I, I, you know, I'm not biased that that kid should win. He trains more, but um, it's allowed us to have the freedom. Oh, I'm sorry. You're good. Walking here. Um, everybody's getting ready to go to the gym around here. Got to take our physical fitness serious. <laughs> um yeah, like it's it's allowed us the freedom to explore and play with ideas. And this this is something that I didn't understand early. Um, and honestly, I kind of struggled with like some imposter syndrome because I was I was kind of like, man, why why aren't we the guys doing this? You know, I mean, I never competed internationally. I never even had success in freestyle and Greco wrestling. You know, like why the, I know so little, honestly. Right in 2019, I went to my first world championships overseas, and I was quiet. You know, and it really wasn't even until late in the journey this season that I, I really started to develop like real true, com like what I would say confidence. I mean, I, I knew that some of what I was saying have merits, but now I feel like I have a good scope. Um, I, I was, I was around all these coaches that are, that are world-class and I'm keeping my mouth shut. You know, like I was like, man, I need to know my place. These guys, I don't know international Greco Roman wrestling. Like, you know, Kevin Jackson is sitting here. He's the, the United States freestyle coach. And, you know, Frank Molinero and, and some of the uh, – I'm around all these world-class guys who people know who they are. Um, and, again, I, I kind of kept my mouth shut and was listen, you know, listen and learn. Um, but eventually I realized that the burden that these guys have – and I could – Matt McDonough, I, I talk about so many guys who are so, so, so much better as an, as an athlete than I was, okay? Like, they would all kick my tail. There's videos of me getting stroked online somewhere, like um, – but – because we've had the, the liberty to explore these ideas, the freedom of that, like the other people who would have who spent enough time in the game, who would have learned and discovered these same things, they would be the person sharing all this information. They're coaching like in the Big Ten, like they're Big Ten college wrestling coaches, and they, they don't have the time to really explore these ideas or play with them. Like they have to just freaking win, you know. I was talking to Tervel DeLognev, who's um, – he's in Nebraska now, but um, he was at Ohio State. I'll, I'll come join you in a few. I'll see you there. Love you, bye. Go for a set of the gym. Um, I was explore. I was talking to Travell Dlognev when he was at Ohio State, and he was saying that um, that Tom Ryan was trying to play with some some something that we were working on at the time. He was kind of had been exploring those same ideas, and he basically got frustrated with it, and because he didn't have time to commit to it, he couldn't deal with the thing. He was just like, "Hey, we got to have success. Like we, you know, th at the end of the day." the answer to this doesn't necessarily matter as much as it does that, you know, we beat Iowa when we wrestled this weekend, you know what I'm saying? And so um, the, the pressure to be successful competitively speaking um, hamstrings really, I mean, anybody else that makes a living coaching wrestling, you know, um, and it's, it's just such an outlier. It's such a crazy thing. Honestly, it's like it, when I, when I first, when I began to understand that, I realized that there's a reason why, like why the Lord put it on my heart to come back home to Alabama, why he 
Mm. You know, why all these things? I started to realize all the other contributing factors. There's a thousand of them. It's not because I'm real smart. You know, when I was 23, uh, 24, I was like, I'm I'm pretty freaking smart. Like these people just don't know how smart I am. You know, um, how foolish and naive I was to to have ever even like thought such a thing. You know, now I realize um, literally a thousand different things, and like without one of them, I wouldn't have had this thought. You know, without one of them, it wouldn't have that one little experience led to me having this thought, which only makes sense when it's paired with this one over here. And it just all collectively comes together. You know, it's, um, I don't know, man, it's really freaking cool. It, it's cool. I think that Alabama wrestling is definitely on the rise. Um, it's on, we're, we're trying to, we're really trying to share all the information that the things that we're doing and discovering, we're really spending a lot of, a lot of time and money and resources trying to share this with other high school coaches because honestly they're the champions of this information like you know how we got 125 130 kids in you know our program year round probably that many more that wrestle youth with us in this in the youth season um you know let's let's say it's 300 kids like that's not i mean that that's a significant reach i'm super proud of that but like we should be able to go get 3,000 kids you know and so we just need to go get as many high school teams as we can that have 30, 40, 50 kids on their team and then get their, their middle school programs, which have 20, 30, 40 kids on their team. A lot of them, like if we can get, if we can invest in the other leaders, these other coaches and let them be the champions of this information to their athletes, then in the next three to five years, we could have a very significant impact and it completely change. It would change wrestling. Right. And we're, we're doing that in Alabama, but we're also trying to do that nationally. Um, through some other really cool networks and, and just awesome opportunity, right? Some other people who have, who believe in what we're doing um, at the highest level. And, you know, it's sort of a weird thing. It's, it's kind of hard to be, I know a lot of the people locally probably don't want to believe in a lot of the stuff we're saying, honestly. And when I talk about the wrestling world, um, you know, cause they remember me being a wrestler and just being like a dude, you know, or, or they're, I'm the guy that they compete against on Saturday, you know, like they don't, I don't really want me to have an answer they don't have or whatever, you know, um, there's a, there's a competitive rivalry there, right? Like just, um, I'm not a prophet. Okay. But like, there's a, a, a verse in the Bible that talks about a man can be a prophet um, everywhere, but in his hometown. And there's a reason for that, you know? And um, so I, I know some people, there's kind of a, a resistance, a natural resistance to dismiss some of what we're doing or be like, man, like, you know, little Johnny beat their kid this weekend, you know, and I'm like, well, little Jimmy wrestles, you know, three months a year, not 12 months a year like John. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I just I have a lot of confidence that what we're doing is the right thing. And I, it's cool to see some people at the highest level attaching to that and also believing in it. Um, it's also a very weird thing to me because. um Again, I, I'm I'm not that smart, man. I, I really am like humble, and it's it's so cool that we're the people that get to talk about this, right? But I'm in some way I'm weird about it at times because I I don't know, man. I I just want to be one of the guys too, you know. And mm -hmm. um, I can't do anything else. I guess is the answer. Like I'm not so some freaking super whatever dude. It's it's cool that a lot of people that I'm around in wrestling and grappling stuff all love and appreciate this stuff so much. Like, I love that, but like. Dude, I can't do normal adult things. You know, I can't ask me to get a tag for my truck. Like, get out of here. You know, 
Um, Amen. I suck at everything else, to be honest. You know, that this, this is the only thing that I can do. So I, I have to do this. Um, as soon as the conversation goes to something else, I'm like, I just have to be quiet and listen because I can't talk to you about banking or, you know, a whole lot about finance or I don't know anything about insurance or whatever, man. Like I, I can't do anything else. So it's, I literally couldn't even teach, man. If I had, if I had to go to school and be a teacher, I, I went to college to do that. I would be so up the creek without a paddle, man. Like, um, so I'm, I'm super passionate and, you know, fired up, right. I get going about talking about the things that we're doing here today and about wrestling and grappling and, and the philosophy, the ideas behind it. But I also know my place. And like, as soon as we get out of that lane, I'm going to, I have to be quiet and listen, you know? So, um, well, let me ask you one more question because I know you got to go and this has been an amazing podcast, but I got one more question. Um, just any like inspiring stories from your time. Like I know you've been spending a lot of time at like the Olympic training, uh, Olympic training center and being around all these world-class athletes and coaches. Do you have any like inspiring stories? Um, and obviously what does Corey's, um, you know, finish like really mean for the state of Alabama? You know, how Corey ended up, you know, getting second place at the world's against, you know, a really, really badass Russian kid. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, two things. Number one, I'll say, uh, so, man, there's literally so many shores. The, the being around world-class athletes is an amazing thing, right? You can just hang on every word. And, and, and I think being around the coaches even more so because they just share the, they can, they share the story of hundreds and hundreds of athletes that they've all come encounter with. So you just, the stuff that's being shared there is, it's awesome. You know, I, I like Coach Mayab is a guy. Um, he's the head – he's the assistant coach at the senior level, and he's head of development for USA Greco. Um, so it's like U23 and below. And um, he's a guy that I love hanging out with. He's, he's an old, old-timer, and it, it feels like hanging out with my papa. You know, I just – I literally hang on every word. I'm like just every story he's got. And there, there's hundreds of them. One thing that I, that I, I think um, – uh, as you started to talk about that, the impact he's something that he told me that impacted me, and and I, I think about it often. That I think might have the most application for listeners is um, he's talking to me about um, Olympic divers, and uh, we were at the training center the first when when he's telling the story, and you know swimming diving happens you know a couple hundred yards from us, and he said he said you know Olympic Olympic divers um, they dive five times a day, so they they you know it's we're talking about the skill. He's telling me about the skill and, you know, there, there's so many flips and there's turns and whatever and how intricate and like detailed every movement is as you're falling through the air and you're, and they're falling at, you know, 35 miles an hour or something, whatever the, the speed was. I can't remember. Right. But he said they, but they, they, they dive five times a day. You have to dive five times a day, but they only get wet to them. And I was like, wait, what? You know? And I was in my head, I was like, maybe somebody else already knows the answer, but I, I was like, I mean, do they have like some cool device that they jump with? Like what, you know, like, like, like they have like a wind tunnel. Like how do they do this? And he said, they jump off the platform twice, but they do the walkthrough three times, like standing on flat ground. And so they close their eyes and visualize jumping and turning and they activate the muscle groups. And, you know, if you can see me, I'm kind of moving around and maneuvering the way he was to just tell me, but I, I remember thinking like, not just the visualization, but 
literally walking through the mind body connection of the skill that you're going to do and performing it in that sequence. And I was like, man, that's, that's powerful, you know, and, um, it left a lasting mark on me for sure. And I, I think about that often about getting the mental rep, um, and not, not just visualizing, but getting a mental rep in. and, um, that's to me, that's kind of what the iron class formula is about that, that mapping position. Like I, you get a mental rep of your offense and how it flows and how to run through it and what details are attached to it and when and why you do it a certain way and, you know, the correct reads. And so it's, um, that was really impactful. I hope that helps the, the listeners. Um, and two is, you know, Corey is a special thing, but as, um, he's special because he's not special. And I say that to say, um, I've been with him since day one. He's, you know, uh, having about to have like kind of the sixth birthday of wrestling, um, sixth wrestling birthday with us. And, um, he is, he's a very ordinary kid when he started, man. He was a, he's a, I mean, I see a hundred kids like him every year that were, I'm like, man, that, that kid's kind of, he's the same as Corey was, you know, like I see a hundred kids that are like him. Um, and I think that's important because around the, the like, like, so he, he was, he was ordinary. He was very ordinary today. He's not ordinary, but it's not because he had some amazing talent that or skill or aptitude or whatever. He just showed up to practice every freaking day. He just literally came to practice every single day. And, that journey, like what he's doing. I mean, he's in wrestling, he's a black belt. His wrestling IQ is arts at this point because he's just been around every day for all the information that got that's been shared. And he's just become a super a samurai man. He just pursues the thing and pursues excellence now in everywhere in every aspect of his life. And and I think that that same thing could be said to every white belt that starts, you know, like he was over 10 years old, I guess. Um, 11 years old or whatever when he when he started um but you know you're a white belt and you start jujitsu um you you look at a matt scaff or a brandon mccatherine and go dude that guy's an alien you know what you don't see is like day one what did he look like and how many days in a row you put together that you know the thing is that anyone is capable of doing what Corey's doing you know i think that um the story that he has done this from small town Alabama where he doesn't have a world-class coach or any of those things, right? Like I, I didn't, I never won NCAAs. I never wrestled internationally or even, I mean, dude, I think I've won like three Greco matches in my life, you know? Um, and if he can do it, if he can, if he can run the four minute mile, then now everybody thinks that it's possible, right? Roger Bannister ran the, ran the four minute mile. And now all of a sudden it, it took, you know, it took however many years to, to break that barrier, right? Um, and then over the next 10 years, like how many people ran faster than that? And so he, it, it was the four minute mile, you know, getting a world medal uh, in Greco Roman wrestling for, and his, his training situation and where he's from, whatever, um, says that it's possible for every kid from Alabama. And really, it's true for it's possible for every kid in the country, mm-hmm. you know, like why not? And that that's inspiring. Whether you're a kid who's trying to wrestle or someone who just has crazy high goals, if you understand the significance of what he accomplished, then you, I think you have to be inspired by that story. And it's what I'm most proud of. Like, I'm selfishly, like, I'm proud for myself because it's the first athlete I ever had to do something so so significant, right? Um, 
Uh, and then, you know, for him, I'm proud because he got a reward for the work he's put in. But I'm, there's a way bigger thing, and it's reason that I know there's probably some fatigue. People might even be tired of us talking about it, but I'm, I don't care. Get over it because um, everybody needs to hear the story and understand the significance and whatever. Not, not to see like me, 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 I, I, or I did this or he did this, but to so that they can believe in whatever it is that they want to do um, because it's it's freaking significant, man. And so find a thing that you want to do and just pursue it recklessly, you know, and do crazy hard work, do think, you know, people are going to criticize you for being so committed to excellence um, and they're not going to understand. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be criticized, whatever. But like, if you just stay the course and do the thing that you know is right in pursuit of that, have the success that you want to, right. And uh, that's powerful. I think that's, that's the message. Man beautifully put and this is just an amazing time talking to you i wanted to wait i wanted to have you on for a long time but i was like, i want to wait till he gets back from budapest and then obviously you guys go out there and kill it Corey goes out there medals and i was like nah, definitely gotta have him on asap so thank you so much for joining me today man and you know i uh, i love and appreciate everything you guys do and everything you guys are doing down there and i wish you guys nothing but the best absolutely man you're the man dude thank you so much for having me on i'll uh I'll be up for training tomorrow, so I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. You can put it on me again. Hey, that sounds good, man. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I love and appreciate all of you. Peace.